0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here. Today we are in a sermon series that we're calling Make It Count. And the idea for us is that we want to make our life count and we don't want to waste our life. And so we've been looking at uh, the scriptures to see, well, what does God say about it? What does God say a life that matters really uh, looks like? And last Sunday we talked about how God has a specific calling for each of us. He's got a a specific assignment and purpose for every single one in the room, and and, uh, that doesn't mean that in order to fulfill that, you've got to go into full-time ministry, become a pastor like me or something, and that's not the case. In fact, God is going to give you a job. He's going to give you a vocation, and hey, that vocation may change over the years, but your purpose is something that never changes so that when you are fulfilling your purpose, no matter what job you have at work, you uh, have in many ways opportunities to fulfill that. As a dad, as a mom, in your family, you have an opportunity to fulfill that purpose in your family. And most definitely in God's church, you have a role and you have a place to serve and to make a difference. And so every single one of us need to understand how God designed us and how God is calling us to invest in his kingdom. And so this is not an individual thing. Uh, we, we, in, we like to think in terms of make it count, you know, as it relates to me personally. And yes, individually is part of it, but that's not all of it. In fact, in order to really make it count, we have to look at it in terms of how we as a church corporately gather together to make it count in our community. And so that's where the 2021 vision comes into play. This is where after prayer, we just feel God is leading our church, positioning our church, opening up doors for us to accomplish this. And so as a church, uh, 2021, we're saying we want to make it count, M-I-C. And so the M stands for multiply our location. We want to be one church in two locations. Uh, Next Sunday, I want to dive into a a little bit of detail uh, towards uh, that endeavor. Uh, The I stands for improve this campus. And so we purchased this facility several years ago. Haven't really touched one half of the facility and just kind of used it in multiple ways over the years. Uh, And we believe it's time for us to finally renovate that space so that we actually have rooms for babies, where we actually have rooms for toddlers. There'll be a a family room there so that if you don't want to, and you take your kids into the kids' environments, which I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that, but if for whatever reasons you didn't, you could go into that room and experience the service uh, with them. There's going to be a room for uh, volunteers on Sunday to go in there and and, uh, eat breakfast before they serve and hang, and uh, there will be rooms for base camp and Camp 2's. There'll be counseling rooms, so throughout the week we'll be able to use those rooms uh, for counseling. Staff offices, because we actually have never had offices as a staff since we uh, have started the church, and so this will be a great blessing for us. and And then they'll, they'll also going to be a studio, so that we can record some of the new songs that God is laying on our heart at Fudos Collective. And so, uh, it's going to be an incredible uh, step for our church, much needed, and it's going to bless future generations for years. It's going to cost. Uh, $3 million in order to do that. And interest rates are great, so this is a great time uh, to take this step. And, and uh, obviously, we're excited about it. Uh, the letter C stands for Create Ministries. And specifically, we looked at Matthew 25 on week one. If you missed it, uh, I encourage you to go online and catch up with week one. But we looked at these six different areas that Jesus says, uh, he gives us a, a parable, a story. It's really an apocalyptic kind of story. And he says, this is what the final judgment is going to be. And we going to separate people based on their ministry in their life. And, and uh, he, he's giving us this vision and idea that when you serve the least of these, you're serving him. And he identifies six ministries, and and these are ministries, some of them we're doing and doing well, some of them we need to grow, some of them we aren't doing and we need to create. And so um, those six areas include uh, this idea of caring for the hungry, caring for those who need clean water, uh, giving clothes to those who need clothes, welcoming strangers, caring for the sick, and uh, caring for those who are in prison. And so when I say that we are creating ministries here at FC for 2021, that means specifically in those six areas. Now, in the past, we've talked about parking and land and that kind of thing, and that's still part of the vision. But specifically this year, we believe we've got to take care of this issue next door, focus on creating these ministries and move in the direction of multiplying our location. So we do still need to do that. But as we look at this, as, as, as we are moving forward, we believe God is going to bless this. We believe God's going to use it. Obviously, it's going to require resources. And as we've already heard today, that, that the, the, the pace at which we're able to accomplish all these things really depends upon how the people of God here at FC fuel that vision and give towards that vision. Um, if we don't really, you know, have any resources come in on that offering, then we'll just continue to do things as is and and see what God has for us. But we truly believe uh, that you guys are on board. Those are are watching from home. You're still engaged, even though you're connected online, and that we're going to give towards this, and we're going to see God do an incredible thing um, and do a a big work in and through this church. Uh, We've mentioned the 25-day devotion. This is designed to help you begin to see how God would lead you to give, see how God would lead you to participate, and really begin to serve in our church. And so I'm excited about this as we continue uh, to move forward. If you've got your Bibles, today we're going to be in John chapter 15. Um, If you know me, Uh, you know that God has kind of wired me to be on the move. I like to start things. I like to create things. I like to be in motion. I like to be active. Um, I like to create a to-do list and accomplish that list. Um, There's nothing greater than to see something on the list that needs to be done, do it, and then cross that thing off. That is a high-five day. Uh, I'm so weird that I will go about my day and do all the things I need to do, come back, create the list that I've already done, just to mark it off. How many crazy people in the world, in the room, just like me? All right, not many. I'm an idiot. Um, the problem is, uh, in, in life so often, is that we just create this busy schedule. And I think it's part of who we are as Americans. I mean, it's really the air we breathe in America is to achieve, to be successful, to accomplish something. We are in a country that was built on innovation and and, and hard work. And so we kind of have that in our DNA that, that you can do something great. You can become something great. And so we're living in that era and in that culture. And the problem, at least for me, is as I'm creating this list and I'm busy and I'm accomplishing and I'm doing, a lot of times there's this nagging voice in my head that says, it's not enough. There's this nagging voice within me that says, it's not done well enough. And so you got to keep going. I don't know about you, but sometimes there's that voice that says, uh, you just don't measure up. You just don't do it good enough. And maybe it's me or, or, or maybe you, know, you kind of deal with that as well. And you're kind of longing for that good job or attaboy, kind of pat on the back in life. And it doesn't seem to come from anywhere. And even when we do hear it from someone, it doesn't really feel that longing within our heart that we matter, that we are enough, that we are good enough. And if you battle with those internal thoughts, what it's going to do most likely, you either give up or it'll motivate you to go even harder, to push even further to get it done, to wake up earlier, to stay up later, to work your tail off and grind and grind and grind because you're after this sense of accomplishment. And the danger is that these emotions become really normal and, and, and really become who you are. And maybe it all started because a coach or a parent or a family member told you you weren't good enough. No matter where it came from, this motivation, this longing will, will just add this sense of discouragement. It will give you this mindset of discouragement and then it will lead you to have a chaotic schedule so that the task list and the busyness and the go and the do and all of these things create this life, they create this sprint of, of all of this stuff that we hope to do and want to do but we're not really sure that any of it really matters. And at the end of the week, at the end of the day when we do kind of slow down, we, can, we kind of start to think, man, what is this all for anyway? What if we were missing something incredibly simple but incredibly powerful that Jesus teaches us and we're just blowing right by it? What if there is a way, there's a direction, there's something, maybe a mindset, we might call it, that you and I as followers of Jesus should be following, but as Americans and as go-getters, we're completely missing? The to-do list is great. We've got tasks to do. You've got a job to do. But at the same time, we see a a, a Savior, we see Jesus accomplishing his mission, accomplishing his task, but he also keeps relationships vital. In John chapter 15, we have Jesus sharing his last words uh, because he is uh, with his disciples. He's in the upper room. He's washed their feet. He's told them that he, he's going to have to leave, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit. There's tension in the room. Nobody knows what's going on, right? They don't really get it. He, he, he gave them the last supper, and um, they're about to leave. It's hours before he's arrested, hours before Judas uh, um, betrays him hours before he'll be hanging on the cross. And these are the final words of Jesus as they're walking out of the room and he is walking to the garden of Gethsemane where he will be uh, uh, praying and where he will be arrested. And on the walk, he says these words to the disciples. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What Jesus is teaching us in this passage is a clear way for our life to count, for our life to matter. And that's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. How do we essentially make our life count? How can you make your life count? How can I make my life count? Jesus is saying that if you want to live a fruitful life, if you want to live a life of meaning, a life of significance, there are two things that are going to happen in your life. The first thing is that God is going to refine you. And the second thing that must happen is that you must remain in Jesus. Let's break that down together. First of all, he says, God will refine you. Look at at it again in in, in your Bible, verse 2. He says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, when I first read that, my, my head goes to God's going to prune the person that isn't doing the right thing because pruning sounds really harsh and I don't want to be pruned. So he's going to do that to people that aren't doing the right thing. And he says, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm going to do. Those that are bearing fruit, I'm going to prune them so that it will bear, they will bear even more fruit, <laughs> So the vine dresser, this is an illustration, obviously. Jesus is saying that God the Father is the, is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's going to be uh, nourishing and, and allowing us to flourish, allowing the, the branch to have the nutrients. We're the branches. Jesus is the vine. And so because of the vine dresser, we have nourishment. But as we produce fruit, the, our Heavenly Father will prune you. He will cut some things out of your life. He will will shape your uh, life in such a way, just like a gardener might cut and shape uh, a certain uh, fruit tree or uh, a a certain plant. Why? So that when they prune it, it allows the branch to grow and, and flourish in a better way. It will produce more fruit. But again, we hear the word prune, cut away, and we're thinking, that sounds a little too harsh. Is God really going to bring a level of suffering in our life so that we can bear much fruit? And the answer is yes. That is exactly what Jesus is teaching us here. If we handle the suffering well, if we handle it faithfully, it will result in more fruit in our life. COVID-19 is a pruning season for all of us. It is revealing some of the idols that we might have in our life. It's revealing that some of us have been trusting in things other than God to bring happiness, satisfaction, and a sense of security. Some of us have been leaning into our bank account, into our business, into our government, into politicians. And God is using COVID-19, I think, to reveal some idols in our life. And I realize that as we go through this 2020 crazy years, Some of you are not just going through a pandemic. Some of you are not just going through a country that's divided by politics. You're going through a relational turmoil. You're going through a health issue. You're going through uh, uh, kids that are running from God or or not doing well. And so it's almost as if there's this wave after wave after wave of refining slash suffering, adversity that has hit some of us in the room. If a pandemic wasn't enough, right, now you're adding something else onto the plate, God. And what we have to realize is that this pruning, this shaping, this cutting back, it's going to hurt sometimes. It's going to be painful in our lives, sometimes deeply. But when you understand God's grace, when you understand his love, you know what verse 8 says, you might circle it in your Bible. By this, my Father is glorified. This is how God the Father is glorified. You go through pruning, you go through suffering, you handle it faithfully, it produces more fruit. God is glorified. But so many people don't like to think of God as a God that sends suffering into our life. God's just supposed to provide happy meals all the time, isn't he? God's grace means that I can just, you know, receive his love and then go do whatever, whatever I want to do. Just live my life, right? I can always just count on God to give me everything I need. And that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that God's grace actually requires a payment. God's grace actually required suffering. The good news for us is we weren't the ones that had to suffer. And yet it did require suffering. Jesus took our place. He took the punishment on the cross that you and I deserved. And so, yes, we can receive him by faith. We can receive him as a payment that he absorbed our sin and our punishment on the cross. He offers us righteousness. But let's just be real clear. The God of the Bible will will send into your life seasons of pruning, cutting away, times of suffering for his glory, for your good. And when you think about that grace, then what that means is any act of God on our behalf is a result of his grace. His love in times of fruitfulness and times of flourishing is a result of his grace. And then at the same time, if this is true, then times of harsh pruning in our life is also a means of God's grace in our life. In the same way now, we, we are seeing that this is happening for a purpose, for a reason. Um, when uh, my son Bryson, I think he was like three years old, it was Christmas Day, and we were at my in-law's house, and you know, Christmas Day is exciting, it's fun, especially for three-year-olds, it's exciting. His nickname was The Tornado, because uh, he was into everything, anybody have a kid like that, just like into everything, and uh, kind of funny now, he, he, his mascot at school is a tornado now, so kind of come full circle for him, but... Um, we're, we're sitting down, getting ready to open up presents, and he's running around. Next thing I know, he comes into the room. His lips are swollen, and he says, Daddy, my throat is breathing. My, my, my throat is um, um, on fire, essentially, and it was hard for him to breathe. It's burning, he said. And uh, we knew immediately that he had gotten into something. Uh, later found out that he had eaten some peanuts. Right? And so, in that moment, Christmas Day, uh, new parents, we are freaking out, right? So we scoop him up. Um, he's wheezing. It's kind of hard for him to breathe. And we are in the car, and we are 100 miles an hour on Christmas Day to the hospital. And all the way there, Mike is in the back with him, just you know, monitoring him and holding his hand. And all I can hear him say is, "Daddy, please don't let him hurt me. Daddy, please don't let him hurt me. Are they going to stick me?" <laughs> You know, do we have to go to the doctor? I don't want to go to the doctor, right? What's the most loving thing I can do for my son in that moment? Take him where? To the doctor. The most loving, the most um, gracious thing that I could do is, is run him into the hospital. And in that hospital, son, it's going to be scary, it's, it's going to be very intimidating. There's going to be a lot of people coming in and out of the room, and they're all going to be nervous, and they're all going to be intense. They're going to have to take a needle, and they're going to have to put it in your arm, and it's going to hurt. For him, they're going to pump you full of Benadryl, and you're going to be asleep for the rest of the night. <laughs> That's how it turned out. But at the time, for a little three-year-old mind, He didn't understand and he couldn't comprehend that this was for his good. He couldn't comprehend that when I was telling him, Daddy's going to be right here beside you. I'm going to have your hand. Mommy and I are right here. We're not going to leave you. You're going to be just fine. And in the same way, some of you are going through a situation like that. Your heavenly father is pruning you and you're going through a painful season. You're going through a time of pruning in your life and you feel alone and you feel scared and you might even be a little anxious. But the vine dresser, the gardener, our heavenly father says, when you are connected to the vine, when you are abiding and connected to Jesus, he's reminding us that he is right there beside us. He's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. And in fact, he has more instruction for you. He moves from this idea of of being pruned, of being refined, to this concept of abiding Um, And so 10 different times he uses this word abide in this passage of scripture. So what does abide really mean? What does it mean that we are abiding in Jesus? And essentially he's saying, if you want to live a fruitful life, if you want to live a life that matters, a life that makes a difference, you must abide in Jesus. And you abide in Jesus by remaining in his word, remaining in his love and remaining in his joy. And so Let's write this down or think through this definition. Abiding simply means that you would center your attention and your affection, your loves, on Jesus Christ by arranging your life around his words, his love, and his joy, right? And so so it's not when I abide in Christ, it's not something that I can put on my to-do list as I run around town and, 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 and try to live a successful life. No, this shifts the entire framework around. This is not something, making it count is not something you add to your already chaotic schedule. It's actually something that totally reinvents your schedule. Because now abiding means that I am centering my attention, my focus, my affections, the things that I love on Jesus. And I do that, by arranging my life around his words his love and his joy now back in the 1950s tvs were a new thing right if you had a tv back then you were you probably had uh, a you know a a wealthy job you know whatever successfully making a a a big income but today everybody uh, seems like has a tv um, and when you think about your living room, most of us have a TV in our living room. Could we just, by you know, a little participation, how many of you have a TV at your home? Just so I know I'm not, okay, so everybody's got a TV at your home. This is not a guilt thing. I'm not getting ready to crash on, you know, I'm not doing that. What, I'm, what I know to be true for you is what's true of my house. Um, when you walk into our living room, our couch, you know, we've got a couch and we've got a couple of chairs and those, that, that, that couch and the chairs, uh, all point towards what? The TV. <laughs> uh, the TV is the focal point of the living room um, because that's where we go and we watch TV. Like the, the TV, and you might say, well, my fireplace is the focus. Well, I bet a TV's over the fireplace in your house, right? <laughs> but so, so for most of us, that TV is, is, is the focal point. And so we've arranged our furniture to all look to and focus on That which is the focal point, which is the TV. Now, if you have friends over, family over for small group, you know, Thanksgiving this week, when you gather with your family, you might rearrange the furniture. And when you rearrange the furniture, now you're going to put the furniture most likely in a circle. Why? Because now the focal point is relationships. Now we're going to circles. We're not pointed to the focal point of the TV. We're not watching TV at that time. Most of us, at least for a time, uh, you know, a little bit of time before we turn the game on, we're going to sit around the table, we're going to sit around the living room, and we're going to focus on relationships for that moment. In a similar way, to abide in Jesus, the word abide also means remain in Jesus, simply means that we are arranging all of the furniture, so to speak, in our life to focus on Jesus It's you arranging your time and your thoughts and your energy and your focus and your attention on Jesus. It's you focusing your priorities, your decision making, what you listen to on the radio, your music, your entertainment, your marriage, your family. All of your life is arranged in such a way that it is pointing to and focusing on Jesus. This means that it's a continual action. You don't do that when you come to know Christ and then walk away from the living room. It's something that you do continually. Why? Because we're continually losing focus. We're continually being tempted by sin and we're stepping into sin in our life. When we understand that that God opens up our eyes and he reveals to us, okay, this is sinful, this is wrong, then the call is to repent of that sin. Something in the living room has gotten out of whack. The focus and the attention has kind of moved onto something else. And so we repent of that sin that is causing us to lose focus on Jesus. We rearrange the furniture again to now focus on Him. It's a continual thing because we're constantly shifting, we're constantly changing. So His call is that we would abide in Jesus. This is me thinking about the cross, cherishing the cross, arranging my life around him so that I can have a close connection and relationship with him. That means I have to be intentional about my time. Now now it's not I got to pray because I've got it on my to-do list and I got to check it off. No, it's like I'm developing this abiding life that has arranged my life around God and the Lord Jesus and so I I'm going to speak to him every day I'm going to speak to him throughout the day I'm going to read his word I'm going to schedule my time so that I can create space to serve him in his church I'm going to create space in my thought life so that I can think about him Sundays are going to look different for me we're going to schedule Sundays differently so that we can serve and connect to God's people This is what it means to abide in Christ. And here's the scary part. If you have your Bible open or you want to look up here, verse 5 says this. I am the vine, he reminds us, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So abide in him, we will bear much fruit, we will live a life of significance, we will make it count. For apart from me, you can do some things. At least that's how I like to read it. I get this, Jesus, I know, but there are some things I can do without you, right? I mean, I can lead my family without you, right? I can run a business without you. I can lead a church without you, right? I mean, I can lead this small group. I, I, can, I can go and, and have Thanksgiving dinner without you. I can do a lot of things without you. And Jesus says, no, let me remind you, apart from me, you can do nothing of value, nothing. So that means you could be married for 50 years. And everybody can ooh and ah about how wonderful and special 50 years must be for you. And you made it, and my goodness, what a great example. But Jesus would say very clearly, if you have not in that marriage been remaining in me, your 50-year marriage counts for nothing. Nothing. You've got great kids, maybe. ma'am. my kids are awesome. They're so polite. Yes, ma'am. No, man. Teachers love my kids. And my kids are so amazing. And they might get scholarships because their grades are so good to go to college. And they might be good at sports. And because they're good at sports, they're going to get scholarships to go to college. They're so wonderful. And everybody looks at you and your kids and they say, oh, they're so amazing. They're so wonderful. But Jesus would say, apart from me, all of the things that they have done count for nothing. You could accomplish all of your goals in 2020. You can knock them all out of the park. You could be the salesman of the year, the teacher of the year. You could be the man of the year. You could walk little old ladies across the street every day of your life if you want to. Everybody can ooh and ah about how amazing and successful you have become in your business. But Jesus would say, apart from me, it counts for nothing. You cannot accomplish anything of eternal value and of significance in the eyes of God if you were living your life outside of abiding in Jesus. So he says, remain in me. Abide in me. He's saying very clearly that he is divine. We can do nothing, right? And so how do we remain? How do we do this? He gives us the answers. We do this by remaining in his words. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So he's saying, remain in me. How do I do that? By remaining in his word. So this means I'm cherishing his word. I'm, I'm reading his word. I'm, I'm under the preaching of his word. I, I love his word. I've hidden his word in my heart so that I might not sin against God, Psalm 11, right? This means that there is a cherishing and a love and a focal point on the word of God. Very clearly, this one might hit you between the eyes, but if you have not picked up your Bible in several weeks or or months, then it's probably clear that you are not abiding in the word of God. And Jesus would say, you're living your life apart from me. And what happens when you're living apart from him? You're not really doing anything. Remain in his words. He says in verse seven, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So is this a wish list? This sounds like a great uh, passage for your kids to kind of pick out of context here and say, whatever I wish, thank you, Jesus, right, for Christmas. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, when you are praying, first of all, we know in other scripture, Jesus says, pray in my name, pray according to my will, pray in faithfulness. I have faith that God can answer this, right? But I also am praying according to his will. So I say, this is what I think I need. This is what I'm desiring. This is where my heart is, God. But your will be done. Your will be done. Your will is better. I think I need this and want this. Your will is better. When you pray in that way, he is saying, whatever you are asking, as you pray in that way, remaining in me, I will give you whatever you need to bear much fruit. To bear much fruit. And so that's the promise. He's telling us to remain In his words but then secondly he's telling us to remain in his love verses 9 through 10 as the father has loved me so have i loved you now remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love so he says remain in my love if i'm going to remain in his love that means i first have to accept his love some of you have never accepted the gift of jesus christ you've never given your life to jesus Maybe you prayed a prayer, maybe you've been to church a time or two, but you've never received the gift of eternal life and by faith given your life to Jesus. So that's step one. You've got to accept his love that he offers you today. But then secondly, when you receive his love and then you can begin to remain in his love, as you remain in his love, then you are able to keep his commands so a way that we know that we're remaining in his love is that we're keeping his commands. It's not just that I said a, a, a word or two or I showed up to church. No, you look at my life. If I'm keeping his commands, if I'm obeying his word, then that means I'm remaining in Jesus. If you're living a life of habitual sin and you're just doing whatever you want to, then, then, then you would say, and you should realize that you haven't remained in his love. You're not keeping his commands the good news is you can change that today so what are his commands what is what do his commands look like verse 12 says my command is this I love it when it's really simple right here's my command love each other as I've loved you it's easy to understand it's really hard to do (laughs) amen verse 17 this is my command love each other so when I'm abiding in his word when I'm abiding in his love that means I am following through and I'm obeying his word I'm living this lifestyle that allows me to receive his love and then extend his love. So I'm loving other people. Now, this is the, when, when, when you and I come to this idea, this is probably one of the most difficult things you and I will ever uh, understand. Is, is, is really, truly knowing how to love someone. This is one of the hardest lessons you and I will ever, ever come to grips with. It's easy to love people that love you. It's easy to love people like your wife or your kids. Those are the easy ones. Some of you are like, well, that's not that easy either. Well, (laughs) for the most part, right? Well, what about loving those who aren't like you? What about loving those people who are different from you? What about those people who are hard to love because they're annoying? Don't look at anybody in the room. Don't give it away. What about these people in our life? Jesus is saying, when you abide in my love, You're going to be able to extend that love, and you're going to be able to love other people. You're going to be able to show that love. It's going to be living in you, right? And so this is the question we ask. How can I show love in this situation? How can I show love in this situation? You know, this Thanksgiving, you're with family, you're around the table. How can you show love? When you're at work this week, when someone cuts you off, When when you're interacting with people that didn't come through on their end of the deal, how can I show love? In a a, a culture right now that is so divided, in a culture that is, is, is so angry right now, how can you and I show love in this situation? In a difficult moment to love, how can I show love? That's the question that we want to wrestle with. This is what it remains and what it looks like. When we are remaining in his love. Now, next, he says this. Remain in his joy. Remain in his joy. Verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. Right? You can't just go in- invent joy, by the way. You can't go create joy. What we create are little fantasy uh, flickers of happiness in our life. And some people will go to a drug and some people will go to a vacation and some people will go to, you know, uh, their hobby. And, you know, when, when, when I catch that fish, I'm happy. When I'm out in the, you know, uh, I'm out in the woods, I'm, I'm, I'm hunting, man, I'm happy. That's a fleeting fantasy of happiness, not real joy. Jesus says, my joy will be in you. If you remain in his joy, it will be in you and that your joy may be complete. Your joy will be satisfied. You'll ultimately be satisfied in abiding in Jesus and nothing else will give you that. Nowhere else in the world are you going to get a satisfying, joy-filled life that counts, that makes a difference outside of a relationship that is growing where you are obeying his word, living his word, talking with him, serving him, remaining in him, essentially arranging all of your life you know, the furniture is arranged and facing towards him through every decision we are thinking through, is this what the Lord wants? Is this what the Lord has for us? In every decision, in everything, every experience that we have, we are filtering it through our abiding relationship, remaining in him. And as a result, verse eight, you will glorify God and you will produce much fruit. That's exciting. That's exciting. That's, that, that essentially means that loving and abiding and serving Jesus is filled with joy. Now, I know there's a handful of people in the room that think that serving Jesus is not joyful. It's drudgery or it's not fun. Fun is what my friends are doing. Fun is what I, I see on TV. You can go that route and many of you will. But at the end of your journey... I pray that you will come to the realization that Jesus teaches here, which is that you will find zero joy in the world, period. Fleeting moments of happiness that are false, lies, emptiness, that go back to those thoughts of not measuring up, go back to those thoughts of this is all just kind of meaningless. There's only one way that we can experience that. And that's through an abiding relationship with Jesus. It produces fruit. Now listen, we all want to be successful. We all want to achieve and accomplish certain things. But when we look at the scripture, we read the Bible and we realize that success is uh, defined differently than how the world uh, defines it. The world is going to say that, you know, money, power, and fame ...are going to bring you success and and that's what's going to bring happiness. But Jesus says success is now defined by my mission. And his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. His mission is to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so Christ came to seek to save the lost. And now we are arranging our life in such a way that we are now focused on that mission... That doesn't mean you have to quit your job. That doesn't mean that you have to find new, uh, a new employment. No, it means that now as you go to work, as you serve your family, as you live your life, it is focused on and pointing to Jesus. You are remaining in his word and growing in it and loving it and cherishing it and understanding it and doing it. You are abiding in his love, which means you are receiving it and you are giving it. And you are abiding and remaining in his joy. You've, you've tasted that the Lord is good. And in that meaning and that significance in your heart is growing. And so this is why the 2021 vision is so important. This is the direction we believe God is leading us as a church, but it's giving you the opportunity to remain and abide in Jesus It's giving you the opportunity to be faithful to God, to rearrange your life. It's giving you the chance to serve him in practical ministries. It's giving you the opportunity to bless the next generation. We are raising this generation through this church. If you've not seen the hundreds of kids and the hundreds of students here throughout the week, God is using this church to transform this generation. And you and I get to add value to it. We can serve in it. We can give to make it continue to flourish. You get to help start a brand new church in Knoxville. With all, you know, so many churches around the world closing their doors and and, and not being, not healthy. You get to be a part of starting a healthy church. Not many people in the world can say that they were a part of starting a new church. Special. God has given us that opportunity You have that chance to join in that. You can, you you have the opportunity to create ministries. Not only create, but serve in them. These practical ways where Jesus says, if you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. Now you have an avenue to fulfill that. You get a chance to make your life count. The question is, are you going to step up? The question is, are you going to serve? The question is, are you going to partner with us and actually give to this? It's on each of us to make that decision. But here's what I know to be true when I read this passage of scripture, and this is true for some of you here today. You can't make your life count unless you abide in Christ. It's essentially what this passage is teaching us. You can't make your life count unless you abide in Christ, and some of you are not making your life count because you've not received God's love. And Jesus explains who you are in verse two. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. He explains further in verse six, he says, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Very vivid imagery here, pointing us to the reality where we started in week one that there will be a final judgment. And when Jesus separates us, those who have not given their life to Jesus will experience this separation in hell. And some of you are in this place today, you're you're curious about God, you're curious about church, you like what's happening here, I'm glad you're here, but you've not taken that first step to receive God's love. And the reality is you will live a life that is lifeless (laughs) because you're lifeless without Jesus. We go back to that earlier question. One question we have to ask, why are we feeling like we don't measure up? Why this is meaningless? Why we don't matter? Some of that might be because we've never given our life to Jesus. We've never experienced his love. I'm going to invite you to do that today. I want to encourage you to make that decision. For everyone else in the room, The challenge and encouragement for you is that that you would take that step. If any of these ministries get you excited, if if there's any interest at all, please go to the Connect Center, give them your name, say, this is what I wanna do. On our website, you can do the same thing. We've gotta continue to partner together to fulfill what God can do, wants to do in your life. You've got a role to play. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. As I've been talking today, I wonder if there's anybody in the room that would just admit today that, you know, I'm not sure that I've given my life to Jesus. I'm not sure. I question that today. I'd like to be sure. Is there anybody in here that just kind of slip up their hand and just say, that's me? I'm not sure. I'd like to be sure. Anybody at all? Anybody? I saw a couple. I want to encourage those who, who just raised their hand. I want to encourage you when, you. when we stand up in just a moment, we're going to sing a song, but you don't have to wait. I want to encourage you to go out those back doors. And on the other side of this auditorium is a room called the Care and Prayer Room. We've got some amazing volunteers in there. You walk in there, and you just say, my name is, whatever your name is, and I wanna give my life to Jesus. It's that simple. Introduce yourself, say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. And they will show you what that looks like, how to do that. And for the first time, you'll step into your purpose in life. For the others of you, it's a call to abide in Jesus, to arrange your life in such a way that it focuses on Jesus. How many of you in the room say, this idea and topic, I'm a believer, but, but this is definitely where I'm at. I need to arrange some things in my life. Anybody want to slip up their hand and say, that's me, I got to arrange some things, man. I got some furniture to move, hands all over. Pray that you'll do it. Would you seek the Lord now in the direction of your life as I pray? Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And today, God, we are humbly coming before you we want to make our life count we want to abide in you help us to rearrange our life to focus on you point to you there are some in the room god that have never given their life to you they raise their hands this morning god i pray that that you would lead them to go speak with someone today in the care and prayer room may they not leave here doubting their salvation may they may they walk through this opportunity that you obviously have put on their heart right here right now For the rest in the room, God, we pray that you would bless this vision, that we would see more people come to faith and the next generation changed as a result of our ministry and our giving and our, 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 our partnership together. God, we love you. We praise you today. No matter what we're facing, whatever pruning, trials we're going through, we're going to take you at your word and trust that you're in control today. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text SC decision to 97000 or you can head over to foothillschurch.com/decision.